How is it that a man can come to the end of his rope and just give up on life? Things aren't going well on the job and things are going even worse at home. And he just decides he can't take it anymore and that's it. There are people that fit this description and they go out to try to ease the pain in their life with entertainment, perhaps immoral lifestyle, and and perhaps alcohol and drugs. How is it that a woman can become become so overwhelmed in her life that she seeks the escape of perhaps an unhealthy relationship or the, the other comforts? She gives up on the conventional wisdom for any type of fleeting satisfaction. How is it that a Christian who believes in Jesus and the Bible can become so bored and apathetic when it comes to their spiritual life? There's no desire or enthusiasm for worship for the Lord. There's no love and passion for God's word, for the things of God. How could it happen? I submit to you that it is because each of these people do not understand or perhaps the idea has waned in their mind of the mystery of life, the mystery of life and what it is all about. They do not understand the mystery. We say, well, if it's a mystery, isn't that something that they can't understand? Isn't a mystery something that we don't understand? Isn't that the very definition of a mystery? That we don't know who done it. We don't know what it's about. It's a mystery. Is it a mystery by definition? What are those things that you can't figure out or understand? Well, there is a mystery. And I want to talk to you about the biblical definition of the word mystery. In the, mis- in the Bible, the mystery is something that becomes revealed. A mystery in the Bible is this. It's something that was previously hidden that has now become revealed. It's kind of like when you look at a mystery in the Bible, remember, well, you can't bring up a mystery without bringing up Scooby-Doo, right? (laughs) And the mystery machine. Now, I I don't know. There's somebody here in town that has a van. They did it up exactly like the mystery machine. You know what I'm talking about right here? It's, It's probably going past us right now as I speak, the mystery machine. But you remember Scooby-Doo and that, 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 that gang of teenagers, right? There was always this mystery. Who's, who, why, why are there spooks at the amusement park? And what's going on with this situation? And, and, and no one knew what was going on until the very end, right? And, and it was usually one of the girls or Scooby, like, you know, falling out of the sky from some contraption or something. But there was one of the the girls, and she would take the mask off of some creepy goblin, and it was the old man who ran the amusement park, right? And the mystery of the whole thing became revealed. This whole thing was you. You did it. You you spooked us. (laughs) And so it's like the the idea of the mystery in the Bible is kind of skipping to the end of the Scooby-Doo show where you, you find out who did it, right? Who done it? 
And, and so this is, this is the mystery in the Bible. It's something that was previously hidden that now is revealed. And the mystery of the Bible, the mystery that the Bible talks about, is the mystery of what life is all about. And when you have this uncovered, when you understand this, when you see this, this is something that completely will change your life. Your life will be forever changed. And I, I want to say this, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you're not a Christian and you, and you come to understand this, you're probably understanding it because you're becoming a Christian. And perhaps you don't understand what I'm going to be talking about tonight. And you say, well, I'm a Christian and you need to understand this so that when you go through the hard times, the troubled times, the pains and pangs that we'll talk about later in our message tonight, you will know why, because of the mystery of life. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, continues in helping these people in Colossae to understand who Jesus is. This letter of Colossians is really a presentation, it's, it's, it's Paul really saying Jesus is the supreme one above all, above all things, above every created entity, above every principality or power, dominion, whether it's seen or unseen, Jesus is supreme above all. And that's what he is wanting to communicate. We've learned that Jesus is the image of God the Father, he is God. He is the creator. All things have been made by him and for him. Everything has been made by him and for him, and he holds all things together by his power. And here, we come to the end of chapter one, here is the mystery of life. This Jesus, who is God, who is the creator, who holds the universe together, the mystery of life is Jesus living in you. This is the answer. This is the answer for every human being, every life, every problem, every prob troubled heart, every troubled life tonight. The answer, the mystery that needs to be understood stood is Jesus coming to live inside of you. Yes. Amen? Amen. In our study tonight, we'll see the mystery of life that has been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and how he should be your everything. We will examine what is the mystery of life and we will see the wisdom of the gospel, the wisdom of this mystery. So let's dive in here tonight. What is the mystery? Let's pick it up in chapter one of Colossians. Begin reading, we'll begin reading at verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yes. So that brings us to the question. What is the mystery of life? 
It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's it. That's the answer of life. That's God's will for you. That's God's plan for each and every person. He's not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone should come to everlasting life. And so his will, his plan, his desire for each person is that they would come to him and that they would have, that he would be living and abiding in them and therefore they would have a hope of glory, a hope of the glory of God, a hope of the glory of Christ in their life. So this is the mystery of life. In this section, the Apostle Paul declares to us that God has made him a minister. I've been made a minister. A minister is really a servant. Uh, that's what the word means, a minister. You will have, you know, you see like, you know, ministers like in the church, like uh, the, 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 the youth minister or the main minister or the music minister or the, you know, and then, and then they've used this term in, in government, right? You have the prime minister, Although they're not really the prime, usually the prime servant. They're usually the one being served. But this is the idea of a minister is a servant. And Paul says, I've been made a minister. I, I, I've been given a ministry and I've been made a minister. And that is really a servant. Someone who serves at the request of another. And God has made Paul a minister. God gave Paul a clear call to serve him and to carry out a very specific command of carrying the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles. And we've talked about this already. And this is all taking place in Paul's life. He's gone out, he's begun to declare the gospel of Christ, he's planted churches, he's gone into cities across uh, Europe, Asia, and, and uh, Asia Minor, and, uh, and, and, he, and he's done this. The, um, the instructions Paul received from the Lord were to carry a distinct message to a particular people. But Paul goes on to say that this message was a mystery. It is the mystery of life. This message that he was given is a mystery. Because he, see, he's, Paul's being used to take the message of the gospel that is now being preached to the Gentiles. You see, salvation was of the Jews. God worked through the Jewish people. But now... The, the gospel of Christ has been opened up to all the world, to the Gentiles. And of course, this is part of the plan, part of the promise that was given to, to Abraham all the way back in, in Genesis, right? That, that all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham, and what I'm going to do in working this plan. And so this plan that, you know, if you read the Old Testament, you see little pieces of it. And you see like there's clues, you know, there's things like, oh, wow, well, you know, God's doing something. There's a plan. But we look back in hindsight and go, oh, well, look how crystal clear it is. It wasn't exactly crystal clear. It was a mystery. And Paul is now saying that this mystery in Christ has, has, is now revealed. It's now become clear. And I want it to be clear, Paul's saying, for every single person, I want you to truly understand this because if you'll get this, this is big time stuff. The word mystery here is the Greek word mysterion, and, and it means this, the eternal counsel of God which is hidden from the world but is fulfilled in the cross of the Lord of glory and which carries with it the glorification of believers. You see, part of it is that Christ was coming. He was promised, right? The seed of the woman would come into the world to deal with the serpent seed once and for all, Right? This was, the, this was the promise given in the garden uh, when man 
fell from glory. And, and we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But this is what happened. And so Jesus came, and he came uh, to fulfill this plan. And, and, and now Paul is proclaiming it. And he's, 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 kind of, he's, he's kind of the one going, okay, look, I want to show you this whole thing. This is, the, this is the mystery. This is something that was hidden in ages past, but it's now been revealed. You know, we're, we're kind of at the end of the show. We're at the place where, you know, what, what was her name? Daphne or whatever. You know, <laughs> Daphne pulls the mask off of the old guy. You know, that's where we're at. We get to see the thing uncovered and explained and revealed and, and see the power of it affect our lives in the way that it needs to, the way that it should. And so this is what God is doing. So what is, the, what is this mystery of life? Paul declares it in verse 27. This is the mystery. This, this mystery of life is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Jesus Christ who is God, the creator, the preeminent one, the, the supreme one, the one who holds the universe together, living in you, living inside of you. He's literally made a home inside of you. You have become a tabernacle, a temple of the Lord. Amen? This is the mystery of the gospel. Paul told the Romans, he put it this way, speaking of salvation and having this happen in a person's life, this is very familiar, and if you're leading someone to Christ, these are verses that you need to know. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And when this happens in a person's life, the result is Christ in you. The result is Christ in you. Now think about this. Now, now if I just said that and I just kind of threw that out there, he said, oh, well, Christ in you. Okay, okay, come on, Charles. No, no, no. What have we already been talking about in this first chapter of Colossians? We've already talked about that, that this one is the one who was before all things. This is the one who made all things. He's the firstborn of creation. He's the prototokos of creation. He's preeminent over the creation. He, he holds all things. All things have been made for him, and by him, and for him. And in him all things consist. He is literally holding the universe. So that one... Okay, so, so, so Christ in you, yeah, the one that I just described, that one, that person, that Jesus in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The result of accepting Christ and letting him be your savior is the hope of the, the, him living inside of you. And so what is the result of Christ living in you? What is the result of Christ coming to reside in you? that you have a hope of glory. Amen? A hope of glory. Well, that begs the question, what is glory? Right? We talked about what a mystery is, mysterion. What is glory? And is it something that I want? <laughs> you know, I mean, Christmas is coming, Thanksgiving's coming, and, well, it's after, thanks, it's after Halloween, so it's pretty much Christmas season. I think Hallmark is already doing the Christmas movies anyways, right? So, 
we're going to watch and we're going to see Bobby who, you know, made it through town and came in on a train and the train couldn't make it out of town. And so he's trapped. The father picks him up at the train station. He's got a daughter that's kind of cute and single and come on back to the house and help us put the tree up and have some cocoa. <clears throat> Right? You know what I'm talking about? Is it, is, is glory something that was just all extemporaneous right there? But that's pretty much every one, every Hallmark Christmas. Do I want a glory? Do, do, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, you know, I'm hoping for a lot of things, but do I want glory? Well, what is it? What is the glory that Paul's talking about that you have a hope in if you have Jesus living on the inside? The glory that Paul speaks of is the glory of God. It's, the, it's literally the glory of God. The, the word glory here in the New Testament is the Greek word doxa, D-O-X-A. That's the transliteration. It is the Old Testament Hebrew word for glory in the Old Testament, which was kabod, kabod, right? So the Greek word doxa here means good standing and good reputation. The Hebrew word kabod refers to something weighty, which gives importance. It speaks of the weight, substance, radiance, and splendor of God. And so the, there's, we think of glory, and, and, and our mind might think already, you know, just go right to the, the, the splendor, the radiance, that type of, you know, the glory of God, the radiance of God. But there's more to it than just this radiance and, 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 and that. There's a substance to it. There's a weight to it. The word, the, the, the kabod, actually, there was, there was this weight to it. It was the kabod, Amen. And, um, and so, yeah, when you're, whenever you're walking by, um, you, you know, you're, you're, you'll be driving by and you'll see like a Jewish synagogue and it'll be something kabod. So you'll know what it's talking about, okay? So this is the mystery of life, that because Christ lives in us, we have a hope of glory. What glory? It is the glory of good standing, good reputation of the weighty substance that covers and radiates radiates. It is the glory of the magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity, grace, and majesty belonging to God. This glory is what every person alive is longing for. So Paul says, this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory, this is what you're hoping for, but you didn't know it. This is what every heart on the face of this earth right now, deep down, is longing for. They just don't know it because they're, miss, they're missing the glory. They're missing the glory, the kabod, the doxa, the weight, the substance of God, the radiance of God, the glory of God, the substance of a life in God. This is what every person without Christ is missing. And so the problem is that we have been without this glory. We've gone without this weight and substance and radiant covering of God. We've had to go without this substance of life from God, his glory upon us. Why? Many people, when they look at a current situation or circumstance, they long for better times 
of yesterday. Maybe they come into bad times and, you know, things aren't going so great. You know, maybe trouble at work. You know, they're, they're making changes and they're stirring things up and, you know, the, you know all this stuff. And, and it's like, oh, I, I, you know, and, and here's what happens. People say, oh, yeah, I, I miss the good old days. And what, when someone says, I miss the good old days, what they're saying, they're, 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 going, they're remembering back to a time when, according to their memory right now, it, it, it seemed good, right? Right now, I don't like it because everything's you know, bad. You know, things are changing. Things are different. Things are, uh, I, I, I miss the good old days. Well, you know, if, if, if we're honest with ourselves, it, we could think that this is the good old days and things could get really bad and we could say, remember the good old days? And we might say, oh, well, you know, they weren't, they weren't that good, you know? <laughs> or maybe we would. But here's the problem with looking backwards for the good old days. We don't look back far enough for the good old days. Here's what I want you to do. We, want it, we, we gotta go back in time. We gotta go back in time, right? We need some Huey Lewis up here. You'll get it later. <laughs> we're gonna go back in time to 19. No, we're going back in time all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You want to talk about the good old days? That's how far you have to go back. You want to talk about the good old days? Oh, the, 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 the 70s were the good old days or whatever. No, no, no. What I'm here to tell you what the good old days was. The good old days was the Garden of Eden before the fall. Okay? And, and here's why. Because I want to throw a verse of scripture up here on the, um, on the screen. Genesis 2.25. Speaking of Adam and Eve. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You say, well, why have you taken us all the way back to the garden to talk about Adam and Eve being naked? on Saturday night. Well, because we just, we got to stay in this Genesis series. No, no, no. <laughs> We're going back. <laughs> because this scripture right here tells us about the good old days. It tells us that man and woman, Adam and Eve at the time, were living in a standing with God in a right standing, in a good standing, and they had a covering upon them. They didn't know they, they didn't know what it was, but they were naked and they were not ashamed. They were covered with the kabod of God. They were covered with the glory, the substance, the weight, and all of it. And so if you want to talk about the good old days, we've got to go all the way back to here. But in the next chapter, after chapter two, and we're all scholars on this, right? Because we spent a year and a half in Genesis. 
In the next chapter, Adam and Eve both sinned against God. And they did exactly what God had commanded them not to do. And because they did, the glory and the weight, the kabod of God's glory kind of lifted. And what was the first thing they noticed? Not, not that first. Not that they, they were naked and unashamed. The first thing they noticed that they were naked. They were naked. Genesis 3, 7. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So this is really a very interesting verse of scripture because it tells us, it shows us, it, it says their eyes were open. It's like their eyes were open and now they're looking and they're like, wow, we're naked. Something's different. There's shame. There's fear. There's a substance, a weight, the covering of, I've heard it described as that Adam and Eve had like this light suits. And part of the high priestly garments and the, the gems on the breastplate that would reflect off the, the glow of the candlestick inside the tabernacle was literally taking, it was literally a picture of going back to the garden and seeing the radiance and the, and the, and the kabod of God. And so as the high priest would minister and wear that, this was the picture that you had that was, it was literally, and that's why on the inside of the tabernacle, we, we joked because there was some curtain rods <clears throat> up on the walls in here. And I think there was a church that met in here for a year. Church, I think this building was empty for a year, but there was a church and they had curtains and they put some, some kind of curtains and we were talking about that and joking about it. And we were talking about the tabernacle and inside the tabernacle, you did have these curtains and on the curtains, there, there were sown palm trees and things to make the inside of the tabernacle was literally going back to the garden. And so you had a man that would walk into that place to do ministry and he had a light breastplate that would reflect and reflect and this is the picture of going. So you say, well, what is God trying to do with us? He's trying to take us, he wants to take you back to the garden. But, but, but we're not going back to the garden. We're going forward to the garden. Amen. <laughs> read the last chapter. Read the play. Look where we're headed. We're going back to the garden. Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're going to the garden. You're going back to that place where you'll have that substance, that weight, that light suit. The glory of God will be upon us all. We have a hope of glory. There's a glorification. There's the resurrection in store for each and every one of us. This is why this is so important. The woman was deceived and man disobeyed and the glory was gone. The word in the Bible for no glory is Ichabod. Kabod was the glory. No glory was Ichabod. They went from glory, they went from Kabod to Ichabod. And they knew that they were naked. And they fled into the trees in verse 8. And what God had meant for their provision, they were now using to hide from him. They were hiding in the trees and they used the leaves of the trees to 
so, you know, well, we got we to gotta, we gotta take some fig leaves and sew something together and get something going, going on here because this is, this is not working out. And so what God had meant for, for the provision of man was now part of what they were hiding in and hide and using to cover their shame. The trees in the garden were there for them to eat, the tree of life, and so on. And so God, hold, God holds a court. There's a court. Genesis 3 is basically like a court scene when he finally he, 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 he comes to them. It says he, he went to them in the garden. I mean, he knew where they were, right? He went to them in the garden, and they knew that they were naked, and they hid themselves. And Adam blames Eve, and indirectly God himself. The woman blames the serpent. And so God brings his righteous judgment on the situation. And this is so, when you go back to that scene, and you see, and it, it, it doesn't seem that complicated. I mean, they ate the tree, and there's like, only, you know, not that many parties involved here. You got Adam and Eve and the serpent, you know, the Nakash, you know, so let's figure this out, okay? You know, God's going to figure, God is going to bring his righteous judgment in this whole wide world. That's going to be amazing, right? He's just going to go, okay, here you go. Um, and so in God's judgment on the serpent, God brings a curse upon the serpent. And he also tells the serpent that he, would, that, he, that he would be at war against the woman and her seed. And here God plants the first mention of the mystery in verse 15. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The proto-evangelion, the first gospel. Then God's judgment against the woman came. In pain you shall bring forth children. The pain of childbirth, otherwise known as birth pangs, are painful, painful things. We, we men, we don't know about this, right? You ladies can, you, you know, you won't even really try to tell us about it. Just look, look you, don't know, you don't know. You don't know. We saw you, <laughs> you know, we, we, we sympathize with the situation, you know. But women go through this terrible pain in childbirth. But even in the pain of childbirth, there is a planting of the mystery of the gospel. The pain of the childbirth is a sign of the impending joy, right? So, so, so God, in the giving this birth pang, he, he plants a seed of, 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 of this process where the birth pangs are going to be the sign that brings forth the joy of this birth, Right? And, and women will talk about it. When, the, when, when my child was finally here, you know, the, the pain, you know, just began, you know, and then you do it again, right? There's some ladies, I'm not doing that again, right? Never again. And then there's these ladies that go, like, oh, we're going to do it. We have friends that had 12 girls, 11 girls. My friend Denny Nisley had 11 girls. They kept going. They finally had their son, Amos. Amos Nisley. He delivered all of them. This guy, Denny. He delivered all the kids. He's got a shirt. As he marries off each one of the girls, he's got a shirt where he says, you know, seven down, five to go, or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. I'll show you a picture. But the birth pangs, the birth pangs bring... 
you know, it's a pain, it's a pang. But there's a sign to it too. That on the other side of this pang, on the other side of this pain, there's, there's a joy waiting. There's a joy waiting. And so even in that, God planted a seed of the mystery. And then Romans 8 talks about the earth groaning in pangs. Paul tells us that the earth is, is groaning in birth pangs, right? The pangs of childbirth looking forward to the hope of its future glory. So the earth is groaning in pangs and pains. And we ourselves, so he transitions from there and he says, and we ourselves go through pains and pangs. And now you have, you either have a hope in those pangs or they're just painful pangs that are leading to death. That's what it really comes down to. When you look at life, you either have the pangs and the pains, and those are just pangs and pains on the, the highway to death, or they're pains and pangs that are signs of the glory that is to come on the other side, right? And this is the gospel of Christ. What is the point of this life if there is no God? Why even bother? What was the purpose? But, but our pain, you, you say, you, you say, you, you, say this in the middle of the pain and the pangs that you may be living in. And you say, what is the purpose? Why is this? Why am I going through this? But our pain and pangs of life point us toward the hope that lies with us in Jesus Christ and our future glory with him. Then God's judgment came to the man. God said, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Through toil and work you will eat. Through work and sweat you will eat. This is a big change. This is a big change from when, when they had the glory, the kabod. Can you imagine? They were running around naked just grabbing fruit, you know, eating. You know, that was, that was life. Now they, they're naked, they got fig leaves. They're sewing together fig leaves for clothes. This, is, this can't be comfortable. And now you're going to work. You're going to work. You're going to sweat. You're going to have thorns and thistles. Through toil and work, you will eat. And then Jesus, fast-forwarding, the time of Christ. So, the, so then there's all this foretold of, of the Messiah that's going to come, right? The Bible goes on from there. All this foretold of the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. So Jesus shows up on the scene. And what does he say? Matthew eleven twenty eight. One of my favorite verses. Come unto me, all you who labor. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus came to give us rest. And then Jesus would later say in John chapter 6, verse 53, it says this, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat 
the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so you have the hope of glory. Through work and toil we eat today, and sometimes it just seems like work and toil and affliction. So you have this pain, pangs, and affliction. Paul said that he had the afflictions of Christ, right? He was filling up the afflictions of Christ. So how can you fill up the afflictions of Christ? I mean, didn't, didn't Jesus complete? He's talking about the, the afflictions of the ministry. So you could just be having pains and pangs are just the part of work, part of life, part of what God said, you know, you're going to work and you're going to toil and you're going to eat bread. Except for you people that don't eat bread. <laughs> uh, low carb. <clears throat> and then you have the afflictions. But look what Paul told the Corinthians about this in 2 Corinthians 4.17. He said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. A weight of glory. So what's Paul telling the Corinthians? He's saying, look, you're going through affliction. You're going through this time right now, but it's, 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 it, you're, you're heading to a place where this is going to seem as if it's a light. This was a light and temporary. This is, this is but for a moment, but it's working for an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So you see, back at the fall of man, man lost the glory. But God had a plan to restore that relationship with man. And you see, even in the curse, you find God's plan for the mystery of life. You see God's plan for the gospel. And so God has willed to make known to you this mystery, God is willed to make known to you what are the, the, the riches of the glory of the, of the mystery of Christ. Which is what? You say all that. Which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, if, if, you, if you get anything from tonight, if you get, walk out of here thinking about anything, I want you to think about this right here. So pay attention. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. <laughs> That's it. That's, that's the mystery. It's, it's what was previously hidden, but now revealed to you. And then, and then Paul wraps, it up, wraps up this chapter. Of course, he didn't write chapters and verses, but anyways, the wisdom of the gospel, verse 28 and 29. Let's look at that. He says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So what's the bottom line? Paul says we preach Jesus Christ to you. He's the center of the universe. He's the image of God. He's the creator. He's the one who holds the atoms of the universe together. And the mystery of life is this, the same Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, then it's Jesus who we preach. It's Jesus who we teach. He's who you need. What are we preaching? What are we teaching? We're preaching Jesus. We're preaching what you need. Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what you need, and this is what every person needs. Paul goes on to say that he must warn every man and teach every man the wisdom of the gospel. 
Paul says, I must warn you, I must teach you about Christ. You may hear things about Jesus. The person over here might tell you, Jesus isn't the way. There's not one way to heaven. There's all kinds of ways. In fact, there's like, you know, it's like a wagon wheel. You just pick a spoke, you know, called wagon wheel theology. (laughs) Pick a spoke, it all goes to God. No, it don't. If if, If Jesus isn't the way, then there isn't a way. If Jesus isn't a way, then there isn't a way. Because he said to the Father in prayer, in his humanity on the night that he was arrested, as he prayed and cried and he wept, you talk about pangs and pains, he, he, he sweat drops of blood out of his forehead. And he said to the Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Why? Because there was no other way. This was the plan that God had laid down from the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. Amen? So people will tell you that that Jesus isn't the way. He's not God. He's not the only path. Let me be clear. Let me warn you with the wisdom of the gospel. Jesus is God, and your hope is having him live with you, in you. That's your hope. Paul says, we do all these things so that we may present every man perfect in Christ. This, this is why we do this. Why do we do this? <laughs> why, why, is it, why are we doing all this? So that, we can, so that each person can be edified and built up into the perfect head of Jesus Christ, and he's going to present us blameless before the throne of, of glory. Amen? Amen? And that's what this is all about, that this is all coming about. Paul concludes by telling us that this is what he works at. This is what he strives for in the power of God. This is what it's all about. There are important things in our lives. We each have very important things. And, and, and you know, sometimes in preachers' zeal to present the importance of, of the gospel, they do so in a way that seems to belittle the other important things that, pe- that are important in our lives. And, I, and, I, and I've seen this. I've, I've, I've witnessed this. This is, this is you, know, you know what I'm talking about, okay? This is not to belittle anything that is of importance to you. Your family, your work, your home, the things that God has placed in your life, all very important. This, the gospel, Jesus Christ, in you, the hope of glory is just on a, on a whole nother level of importance. It's, it's, it's just, it's, un, it's, it's got its own area, <laughs> so to speak, amen? It, it's not to belittle anything else that's important in your life. And I would never personally want to do that. And I don't think that's Paul's intention. But this is of the utmost importance that we understand the, this, this, this is so, so important. It's important to to work, to win people to Christ. Proverbs 11.30, it says this, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. When you win someone to the gospel, when you 
like Paul, work at ministering the gospel to someone. This is, this is something that you can, this is the one thing that, you're, that you can take out of here. <laughs> you can't take anything else with you. You can work your whole life for 401k and everything and, uh, you know, gold and cryptocurrencies and whatever else, you know. Okay? There's, there's only one thing that you can take out of here. And that's other people, other brothers and sisters. Helping them along the way, ministering to them. So stop at nothing. I want to speak to the parents. Stop at nothing to win your children to Christ. You have to do this in such a way. The, the genuineness of your faith will be seen. And it will be seen most importantly by your children, by your kids. So live the gospel and preach the gospel to your kids. Now, I know there's a, there's a saying that's going around that it's a historical statement, I guess, that supposedly was made by St. Francis of Assisi. You know, preach the gospel, and if, if necessary, use words. You've seen this? It is necessary <laughs> to use words. God, God's gospel must be communicated it, it, in words. I mean, he is the word and he communicates. Yes, it, it, I think it's both, really. If, if you want to win your kids to Christ, live the gospel and teach them the gospel. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect because you're, you're demonstrating what the, God, the power of the gospel is. Hey, hey, dad's not perfect. Mom's not perfect but we have a relationship with the God who is perfect and we want to make sure that you know that. And so that's where you know, kids run in a thousand different directions because and they're, they're perhaps not rejecting the gospel. They're, we need to be careful in the way that we're living our lives and teaching them Christ. Proclaim, proclaim Christ to those around you. Invite them Proclaim to them and invite. I, I, I will close with this. This is like I, uh, evangelism. Is, I think it, it's, um, it's, it's two things. You say, well, which one is it? Is it going and telling? Or is it inviting people to come? They say, oh, what's going and telling, right? Jesus said, go. I think you see both in John chapter 4 when Jesus met the woman at the well. She, very quickly, he told her everything about her life, including the fact that she had had five husbands and the, one, the man that she was living with presently was not her husband. She's like, whoa, this, this actually could be the Messiah. Yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah. 
So there's the going and telling. Jesus, the chapter starts with this. He needed to go through Samaria. You didn't go through. If you were going to Jerusalem, to Galilee, or Galilee to Jerusalem, you didn't need to go through Samaria. If you were an upstanding Jew, you would go the long way. You wouldn't go, you wouldn't get out Google Maps and go, oh, go through Samaria. It's a shortcut. We don't go through Samaria. We go around. John chapter 4 says Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Why? Because he went there and he had a providential meeting with a woman who needed Christ and her, the hope of glory. The chapter ends with her leaving her pot by the well and going into the town and inviting every person from the city to come. And she said, come and hear a man who told me everything about my life. And so I think it's both. I think it's go and tell. It's come and hear. And God wants to use us to, dis- to disseminate this wisdom of the gospel, this mystery of life. It was a mystery. It was previously hidden, but now it's been revealed. Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory.